On this episode of the Quantum Podcast, I have on sleep expert Nick Littlehales. Nick is one of the pioneers of the sleep industry in high-performance sport. Back in the 1990s, Nick went into Manchester United Carrington Training Ground to speak to Sir Alex Ferguson to try and pitch a job that didn't exist, which was a sleep performance coach. After helping out one of the players at United at the time go from back injury to performing at his best again, Nick became world-renowned for what he did and has gone on to work with clubs and different sports all over the world. His take on sleep is definitely interesting. It's different from what we usually talk about with your typical eight hours of sleep per night. He talks about things such as polyphasic sleeping, which we'll get into in the podcast. We also talk about things such as working with Sir Alex Ferguson, what he was like as a person and how he pitched this job to him that didn't exist. Nick also gives tips on what you should do when you first wake up in the morning and also when we should start drinking caffeine and when we should stop drinking caffeine. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Nick Littlehales and remember to please like, subscribe and share the podcast with anyone who may be interested as this just helps to grow the channel and the podcast itself. Thank you for listening and please find Nick's details in the description below. Thank you. You are a sleep expert. And you've been a sleep expert for over two decades now, if that's right. So yep. <laughs> starting in a, starting in an industry that wasn't as big as it is now, how did you become the sleep sleep coach that you are? Um, like you say, it's it's a long time ago. Um almost like 23 years now. But it's sort of it was the late nineties. I sort of fell into you know, the sleep industry, as we would know it, it was very much predominantly around products. Um, there was the clinical side of sleep, but um, in general terms, it was about, you know, isolated interventions like, you know, things for the bedroom and stuff like that. Sports science was, you know, not even a word. Um, data collection, things like that. It was very much all about sort of natural talent um, back in those days. And I, um, I'd spent a career with a big company as an international sales and marketing director. Um, I'd travelled the world. I'd worked in certain areas of the sleep industry, but you know, I'm not necessarily a clinical or academic uh, expert. But I, I learned a hell of a lot, and uh, I think sort of uh, at a certain point, I just realised that uh, you know, not a performance criteria, sleep taken for granted. Uh, it was very difficult to change that perception in that health pillar. So um, I decided to go off and do something completely different. Um, and just during that particular time, um, I, I bumped into a football club called Manchester United Football Club. Uh, they happened to be the local football club to my UK office in the UK. Um, I'd done a little thing like sponsor a local football team for their shirts, which created a bit of media fun because we were a sleep company. And it was a football club. Um, and I had a conversation with Alex Ferguson way back then. And I think it was any other manager at the time, um, any other club. Um, that sort of little conversation about sleep and recovery and mental and physical stuff would have just left itself in that conversation. But he was in the early stages of adopting new things, you know, things outside of the sport, let's say, um, as they knew it at the time. So. That started a conversation and um, I, I started to just pass on my interpretations, let's say, Ethan, of what I'd learnt, trying to 
you know, find a way that somebody could move from taking it for granted to trying to make it, you know, more optimize it. You know, why not? It's over 30 percent of the day. So we should be able to find something in there that would help with overall performance. Um, and then the journey just began. It was a little bit of, you know, the media having a bit of fun. Like there's a guy wandering around talking to football players about sleep. Um, I would really didn't know what I was doing. Um, and eventually, the more times I confronted sport and was involved with sport and had conversations with individual players or manager or coaches, uh, there was people like Arsene Wenger who came along uh, into the into UK football and had a completely different approach. So it was just in the early days when things started to shift. And, uh, and that journey has been going on ever since and like you say nowadays sleep is a is a sleep and recovery is a big subject there's a lot the more out there thing. for everybody um so there's there's a lot more we're aware of but I, I think we still have to we still have to remind ourselves we're on the very early steps of this health pillar and you know where we get a lot of education a lot of research around nutrition and and exercise and mental stuff in those areas we're, we're still very much at the early stages of this so we know it's important we know how it can affect our performance but we're still on those little baby steps of of how do we really define it for each other uh for anybody in the population around the world never mind sport you know yeah so you obviously work you said you worked with sir alex ferguson who is renowned for being one of the most brutal people of his time in the world of football. So how did you pitch a job that didn't exist to a man who was renowned for being as brutal as he was? Wow, good question to be honest. I mean, uh, not to not to generically label everybody, but he was a tough Scotsman, um, came from a, you know, a, a background of work hard, be honest, disciplined, um, you don't get anything for nothing type of thing. Um, and he was in a world where some of those characteristics um, really meant something to him and to performance in sport. So whilst you had all this, you know, pomp and ceremony and stuff around sport and footballers, um, he tried to keep it grounded. So I think it was it was nothing more than my background it was not the same as his. But um, I was very much an independent person, you know, at school, um, focused around sports. I I tried to do something different to everybody else in my, you know, demographic at that time, uh, trying to become a sportsman in the late 80s, <laughs> early 80s, sorry, late 70s. So I think my journey and my enthusiasm to go, well, if 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 I'm being told to do this, but actually I can't do anything with it, then there must be another way of doing it. So I think it was that little sort of characteristic of um, being honest, trustworthy, um, grounded, um, and determined to to change something, you know? And um, I, I, it's a long time ago, Ethan, but I, I assume it's, you don't get into his space unless he trusts you yeah. and you are, honest and you will stand up for yourself i don't know it's those kind of characteristics but he's also a really really nice and friendly family guy 
who, you know, I think we, we just hit it off at the time, that's all. Yeah. So you've obviously worked with a lot of high performers through your time. So what's the main thing that you've learned over that 20 plus year period of working with high performers? I think the there's sort of two sides to it. Ian. There's one that uh, you don't have to you don't have to coach them about nutrition and exercise and committing to something, right? Um, that's more difficult for the rest of the population uh, because we let lots of variables get in the way. <laughs> so it's it's I think the the big thing was to change their perception of what sleep is, right? And you say sleep to an athlete and they go, oh, that's something I do when there's nothing else better to do. And it's just to shift it. So the first sort of challenge was to deal with it as human recovery performance, you know, mental and physical resilience, recovery. Um, it's a period of time when you are actually training, you know, it's it's not doing nothing. Um, yeah. Your brain's in control of this period. So what are you doing while you're in your wake state to help your brain to go into that training period when you're effectively not there, if you're not. So it's, yeah. it was combining those that sort of mindset together of um, in any 24 hour period, there are things that we should be doing to help the brain when it goes into hit, you know, when it goes into that training period when you're asleep and against some of the things you're doing in your wake state. And if you get the balance a little better, you know, a little bit more harmony about mental and physical activities and mental and physical recovery activities, then there is a there is a different you as an individual, as a human. So it's kind of that reflection on we are human beings with biological functions. We do live on a planet. We are connected with, you know, sort of circadian rhythms and the sun going around the planet. And our synchronization to that is quite key to our overall performance. So trying to bring those two things a little bit together. And I think over the last two decades, uh, I mean, I've gone from no phone to look where we are today. So it's been a, a quite a dramatic shift over the last two decades in in how our own personal space is being invaded if not completely invaded by our ability to be in a 24 seven world. And I think that's the sort of realization for an athlete is to create recovery, which is not about doing nothing. It's about provide, it's about that training program. It's about performance. It's about more consistent, sustainable levels of performance. And sometimes, you know, it's, it is a little bit short term for athletes because there is a, a trial there's an event there is some championships there's olympics there's there's things that they're trying to reach ultimate peak performance at a particular time in a particular so they do have those sort of dynamics of time scale um not necessarily the long-term um issues of doing certain things now that might be harmful later yeah. that has changed a little bit more because Athletes want to still be doing triathlons at 60 and 70 years old. They still want to be playing football at the top flight in their late, you know, late 30s, even early 40s. They So generally, 
we want to be more concerned about the future and our health. Um, but in an athlete's world, it's probably, can you get me to that moment in time in my best possible shape? Because that is my moment in time. You know, it's the 100 meter final at the Olympics. If I can't get to the final, that's one thing. If then in the final, I'm not ready for that. It's almost a complete waste of time coming second. You know, yeah. so it's you do get that really driven dynamics. And I think that's where a lot of us can reflect on how we approach sleep is that, you know, if you are doing certain things, not in a crazy way, but if you're doing certain things and you've got a better awareness and understanding, wow, there's a different you hiding away. You know, it's like a little shadow. Uh, you think you're at your best. You think you're successful. You think you're doing everything in the positive way. But if you ever knew there was another a 10% in there for you, in, in whatever way you'd like to describe that, then, wow, you want to go and get it, don't you? Yeah, 100%. So I listened to the audio version of your book, Sleep, um, uh -huh. in the past week in preparation for this. And I was fascinated by some of the things that you went into in terms of how you describe sleep because it's not along the conventional path of which we're told to see sleep in terms of you need to get your eight hours of sleep and if you don't get your eight hours of sleep let's panic and all this sort of stuff uh -huh. before i get into that i would like you to sort of describe what is circadian rhythm and what types of sleep can we get well i think you know like we probably touched on you know at the end of our fingertips we can we can learn whether it's fake or real anything we want and we can access anything we want um there's a lot more uh, research and, and documentation around sleep and its importance a thing that always fascinated me that no clinical expert could ever give me a defined approach it was sort of we all have to get our eight hours anything less than we're going to die sort of thing um you know bedrooms at 16 to 18 degrees, uh, don't eat too late. Um, subsequently, things like don't be on your tech too long because of blue light. And the, so there was always these sort of little sort of things about what we should be doing, but they were really, really defined to some of those things rather than and pre-sleep routines, you know, and I almost thought, but isn't that too late? There's no point training after the events, is there? It's sort of it never really fitted so i think circadian rhythms was one of those educational points and i suppose i'd ask you ethan to reflect on how much you've been thinking about sleep in your educational formative growth years journey i mean you're talking to me today but I'm, the vast majority would not have conversations about sleep other than you had a bad one last night or you had a good one last night or yeah. you feel okay um the number eight seems to be so ingrained. If you ask anybody how many hours sleep do they try and get, they'll say eight. Um, they don't really know why, but it just sounds like the best number to pick. Yeah. So I think when you start looking at circadian rhythms, you can go into a very sort of specific scientific look at that. But if you bring it all the way back to the top surface, it's a human being with biological functions on a planet. There's a sun going around the planet that creates light, dark, diminished light and timing. It happens all the time. It triggers the planet to unsuppress itself and become awake. Uh, 
there are various people who live in different places within that you know circadian rhythm so as the sun goes around our planet and seasonal changes you've got northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere you've got equator you've got this and that so there's a lot of variations to that natural circadian rhythm but the thing that it creates is i think most people would understand that that creates a clock it's a timing you know the sun doesn't care about us you know as individuals or humans it simply creates this sunrise sunset process and within that we have an internal clock and our internal clock is triggered by that process to do certain biological functions particularly about adrenaline cortisol serotonin our relationship with light and diminished light and blue light and appetite mood motivation so i think the sort of circadian rhythm um area is just to just to have that connection with what's going on you know outside because we live inside and that yeah. general relationship that has never changed and it never will it doesn't matter what technology we create i say that with some caveat because in today's world you never know what we're going to create but in general terms that's never going to change so that sort of relationship and when you look at it there is a rhythm to that we put a 24-hour clock on it so there is this sort of rhythm to 24 hours it's not necessarily about monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday it is a rhythm to 24 hours it's your rhythm with that 24 hours it's your knowledge of how you can optimize what's going on within those 24 hours and understanding the certain triggers and the one thing that i think you can really then start to fine tune is your understanding that within that 24 hours there are uh, you can call them hours um, i call them 90 minute cycles because that's what happens in a clinic within a 90 minute cycle your brain will develop certain stages of sleep they're all beneficial to you in recovery words but there are some uh, deep sleep to keep it simple REM sleep it's only 20 percent of any period right? but it it's where you're almost semi-paralyzed and your brain can really really start to repair you for the sake of argument right really put things and repair and rejuvenate everything about you so that's what you're hunting for right and in your formative growth years it just happens naturally right because the brain's in control as soon as you shift into sort of adolescence then we bring other things in that sort of then counterbalances that process so when you look at it if you think a 90-minute cycle and you take a sort of anchor point to your day like sunrise is and you have your own anchor point you know your most consistent start to your day or how you feel about starting your day um, and you chop it up into 16 cycles 16 90 minute cycles you create some rhythm the first cycle of your day from your anchor point the second cycle third cycle. then you go all the way around to maybe there's five cycles left before your anchor point again right and five 90 minute cycles is 7.5 hours so then you have a bit more of a oh there's my eight hour thing right but you've got these little timings but then what you can reflect on in that circadian area is the first two cycles of your allocated sleep time 
is where your brain is most likely to go looking for those deeper sleep stages. So if my anchor point is 630, I've got 16 cycles, 16 90 minute cycles. So five 90 minute cycles is 11 o'clock into 630 at the end, right? Into my last cycle, the 16th one into 630. So between 11 and 1230, and 1230 and 2am, the first two 90 minutes is where my brain goes hunting for that good stuff. What it doesn't keep doing is hunting for it in the back end of the third cycle or the fourth or the fifth, because that's those awake cycles. So immediately your perception shifts with a little bit of knowledge about circadian rhythms, a little bit of that 24 hour rolling process, a little bit of your relationship with light, dark and diminished light and the four phases of the day, create a little bit of rhythm to that and suddenly realize that when you start your day, your wake point, whatever it is, don't worry about what's happened. Just get on with doing things. That means that when you get round to your allocated sleep time, is that you've given your brain every opportunity to go looking for that deep sleep in the first two cycles. So sleep starts to shift. Rather than thinking, I've got to get my eight hours between sort of 11-ish, half 10, 11-ish, and 6, 6.30, it doesn't mean you're going to sleep just because you've yeah. allocated the hours. So what it does is shift it to, well, what I'm trying to achieve here is an anchor point in the morning, the first 90 minutes of my day I do this, then after do all of that sort of stuff. Then I get close towards this 11 o'clock period. I try to do things that allows me to enter that sleep state. And I've done some things today that allows my brain to go and look for that stuff. Once I get into the third cycle, now, the fourth and fifth cycle are about wake. So the rhythm I create during my day means I'll probably get through those cycles without any awakenings. Um, but there's no point sleeping for five 90 minute cycles or eight hours. If your brain is focused on light sleep, it okay. won't get that deep sleep. And if it doesn't get that deep sleep, you still wake somewhat unrefreshed but ready to go. You'll still go and be a dentist. You'll still go and be a surgeon. You'll still go and be a student doing a PhD or a parent or an athlete going training. You'll still go and do these things. But what's missing is that that 20% bit. Yeah. The What I found interesting was when you said that you set your anchor point in the morning. Uh -huh. So that's obviously like your wait time. And for me, I have a bit of a bad habit of like some days, depending on what schedules permit, yeah. I'll like say get up at 5 a.m. and then another day, uh -huh. maybe 6.30 a.m. because things don't mean I have to get up as early. Yeah. So what? how important is it to set that anchor point every day at the same time and not shift it? Well, it, it sounds a bit like, you know, wow, how do I do that, guys? You know, it's I've got things and variables to do. I mean, we very much talk about in sports about HRV, uh, you know, heart rate variability as a, as a weight. But it's also these are human recovery variabilities as well. That's HRV for me as well. Is is all these little factors that creep into our into our role in 24 hours that sort of get in the way of this little process. And then once you sort of go, well, if I can minimize that as much as possible. So I think the bit is, is nothing more than me and Ethan. We live outside. It's not that long ago in our journey on this planet. We live outside. The sun starts to come round to our postcode, our zip code. It starts to bring light. 
into our space because we're outside asleep. That light then triggers various things like uh, cortisol, adrenal from the adrenal gland. It also serotonin through the light receptors, through blue light in the daylight um, to tell the brain to unsuppress everything. So it's a, it is a start to the day for the planet and us. And so the anchor point is quite critical. And it's a reset point, you know, because what's happened is gone. Right? Are you now doing things from the point of that? Are you getting exposed to lots of light right? and the right type of light? That's triggering appetite, bowel and bladder, motivation, little mental challenging skills. That prepares you as a human being to go on into the rest of your cycles, your day. And without that start, then you're kind of dragging yourself through it or you're interpreting how to deal with things or you're missing positive things to take advantage of or you're letting negative things have too much impact on you. Do you know what I mean? So the anchor point is your sunrise. It's your it's your start to your day. And the way you find that out is, first of all, you think, if you had complete control and Ethan and I, we sleep outside, we do our things, we're in complete control, right, of our days. There's a little thing called a chronotype and it's um used to be called owls and larks and stuff in the past and everybody knows about it now today, so I won't bore them with that. But it, it is about how you react to that anchor point, you know, the start of the day, the sunrise. It is a little bit of a phase delay on internal clock setting and and serotonin production, things like that. Um, so if you're a morning type, then your anchor point, your your natural sunrise is probably going to be something like, you know, five, five thirty, six o'clock, six thirty, seven o'clock. Once you start going past seven o'clock, that's like midday for a morning type, right? A night timer doesn't react to that natural sunrise point that that early anchor point they, they're thinking more like eight o'clock nine o'clock right as their start to their day so some people have to drag themselves into the day because they live in an am as well and some people can start it very naturally so that's why it's then you apply your occupation or you apply lectures you're a student or whatever it is to it and you go well i'm an i'm a morning chronotype my if I had complete control, I'm sort of naturally waking around six o'clock ish. So that's my anchor point. Then when I bring along an occupation that says. I've got to work night shifts. Wow. Then I'm thinking, how's that going to affect me before I even accept the job? If I if I get a job that says I don't have to start work till 12 o'clock midday, I'm still going to wake up at six. I can't put the alarm on for half past 11. That doesn't work. So you kind of realize that this anchor point is not like, oh, you've got to wake up at this time every day. But what it does, it creates this 16, 90 minute cycles. So if your anchor point 6.30, like I said, because that's your morning chronotype, that's your occupational okay, um, it's a good place to start your day, then you're going to wake in your 16th cycle between 5 and 6.30, right? You're not going to wake exactly on 6.30. You, you know, the alarm might be there to protect you from that, but you might wake 
you know, 5.36 o'clock, 6.15. Well, that's all right, because it's your 16th wake cycle, right? Yeah. So then you've got five o'clock. So you go back from 6.30 to five o'clock. Five o'clock into 3.30. 2 a.m., 12.30, 11, right? 9.30. So you've got these little subconscious timings, Ethan. So when you sort of look at your variabilities, oh, I need to get up a bit earlier, what you start to think is keep your rhythm. Keep your rhythm. Your brain likes rhythm. So all you're doing for a period of time, you're saying five o'clock is your anchor point, not 6.30, right? But the timings stay the same. It's five into 6.30, six into eight. The timings stay the same from your anchor point. All you're doing is waking yourself up at an earlier cycle, at five, right? And that may be too early for you in your mindset of getting to that lecture or getting to do something because you could basically just do six o'clock or 6.15, put the alarm on a little bit earlier because you need to get going a little bit quicker. But if you keep some rhythm, it really, in my interpretation of it, then when you move out of that and go back to your natural 16th cycle at 6.30, then you and your brain can very easily just re-adapt. So you imagine seven days in an elite athlete's world and they've got training, they've got some sort of periods of recovery days, they've got games at eight o'clock at night into two o'clock in the morning before they get home, they've got flights maybe, they've got travel. When you look at all of that stuff going on, there's no way you can factor in get your eight hours every night. So what you have to do is go, that's okay because we'll wake at five. There on Monday, we'll wake at five. On Tuesday, we'll wake at five. On Wednesday, we'll wake at five. But then on Thursday, we'll go back to putting the alarm on at 6 30, you know, because we're shifting. But I might wake up earlier, but don't worry, don't start your day. And then by Friday, it's back to there. By Saturday, it's back to normal. By and I'm going to get home at two o'clock in the morning. Well, great, it's fine. Cycle, wait for that third, fourth, fifth, and cycle. 3 30 into five into 6 30 wake but then balance it which is a bigger conversation with a polyphasic sleep approach where midday and late afternoon becomes moments where you can regain your recovery and and that's how you start to look at it and it changes that whole process big answer to your yeah, question yeah. sorry well yeah what i found interesting was when you brought in the controlled recovery periods or crps into into the book mm-hmm. um and it's not something I've ever really thought of doing because obviously conventional ways say sleep your eight hours, you're going to feel perfect, you're going to go about your day as normal. Uh-huh. And for me, I tend to find if I nap in the day, I have like, I wake up a bit sluggish, slow, it takes me a while yeah. to get back into things. Mm-hmm. But then the way you were describing it is actually it doesn't mean to sleep in this controlled recovery period. It's more about taking time off for the mind to sort of recover and reset so what kind of things can people be doing to get these crps in through the day well like you know knocking back to earlier there's these things that you know you i found out you know napping what's napping about well it's this 26 minute thing and pilots might use it okay and when does it normally happen? Well, because it, midday or, you know, 
the graveyard slot in business or or schooling straight after lunch you you hardly hear the lecture or or the sales pitch you know because it's a siesta period it's a slump what's that all about well you can fall asleep behind the wheel of a car or a truck on an autobahn or a motorway what's that about how would why would you even think about doing that you can pass out on a train with all your personal belongings with everybody around you, you don't even know because you've just gone um so it's kind of what does that all mean right and how does that all come together and it means that up until electric light back in the 30s hit the planets properly uh, we never had any one block sleep approach there was no sleep wake cycles for humans in one block monophasic which is our eight hours at night right? it was always multiphasic so there's biphasic triphasic multiphasic there's the uberman which is like six phases a day right so when you sort of look at that you can go well i can i can find my way within the constraints of what we know not making things up you know science is there for a reason so within that what i'm looking at is 30 odd percent of my 24 hours aka eight out of 24 30 of that needs to be in recovery right now we've got a nocturnal period in the phase in one phase we've got the first phase of the day the second phase of the day and the third phase of the day right so we've got four phases so within that i want my 30 plus percent worth of recovery and some of that needs to be um sort of a back-to-back i.e nocturnal set of cycles um but a lot of it is just me and my brain creating recovery moments at the right times in the right way so you chop your day up from the anchor point you've got 16 90 minute cycles so you you ensure that your controlled recovery periods in the first 90 minutes of your day is about stepping outside and exposing yourself to light why because of that serotonin production because of that blue light because it triggers things to unsuppress you now you can recreate that with synthetic light if you're stuck in a flat or you can't get outside things like that it's about little mental challenges you know that you could do like ironing a shirt for god forbid if anybody does that anymore but it's kind of it's little things like making your breakfast and, and making your lunch or or just doing something uh, personal and a bit like walking a dog or doing just a little bit of, of of exercising whatever it might be um just to gently you know bring that sort of crps right and you think the second 90 minutes i can talk to you you know, and I get a real relationship with what 90 minutes feels like. I don't have a wristband going off. You know, it's like, oh, more control. What I do is have a nice relationship. So what you then know is that if I'm focused on something, even if it's looking at the laptop or speaking to you or doing something, studying, whatever it is, that's all my brain is processing. Yeah, it's focused on that. So it processes and creates the various emotions and various functionalities to to adapt to what's going on if i just move and look out of that window you know my garden window there if i just stop and look out of that window and whatever it is visualization let's keep it like that but i just sit there and just 
for a couple of minutes. You know, it's amazing. It just, it's like, wow. You know, you jump on your bike, your static bike, or you go and sit in a room and just let, or stay exactly where you are right now, but just listen to some sensory stuff, music, whatever it is. Um, it's all these little tiny things. If I've if I've got a hydration bottle on my desk, you know, because we we love to do that, don't we? Is a half fill it. Why half fill it? I've filled it for the amount of hydration I need for the next, you know, two hours, and I need to drink all of that to make sure I'm hydrated. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But half fill it. Why? Because once you've emptied it and you've still got another half way to go because it's only half full, then go somewhere. You know, and half fill it again, right? Yeah, and maybe that's by a window, which we can come on to. Maybe that's by a window. And in those couple of minutes, right? Now I come back and go, Hi, Ethan. And there's clarity, there's answers to your questions that are more precise, uh, makes more sense to your audience. Uh, we're not wasting any valuable time. Um, I'm enjoying the next bit. Rather than feeling yeah, yeah. it's going on and on and on. So CRPs, you can turn them into um when you look at that 90 minute stuff, right? 16 90 minute cycles. And the objective is your five 90 minute cycles, 7.5 hours. But what you can do is look at your own personal profile, what you're trying to achieve at any moment, and say, right. 11 into 6.30, that's five 90-minute cycles, fine. But actually, what I'd like to do is take some pressure off the third phase of my day, right? This is like that evening bit into sleep. So what I'll do, instead of 11 into 6.30, I'll go 12.30, right? And by 12.30, it releases a 90-minute cycle in phase three. What I do need is I'm going to go four cycles in six hours. Maybe I can sleep all the way through that gathering all the deep sleep in the first cycle and then off I go. I do these things, these little tiny little couple of minute CRPs, micro CRPs, you know, just look out the window, whatever. But then what I also introduce, because I'm a morning chrome type, is a 30 minute controlled recovery. Period. And that's 30% of 90 minutes. And what I do is this is not about napping. This is a 30 minute period. And within that 30 minute period, I might microsleep. I might snooze for everything. I can do it anywhere. Anywhere. I don't have to be in bed or in a sleep pod. No, I can. So if I allocate that 20, 30 minutes late afternoon in my sort of seventh or eighth cycle, right? and that's for me. And if I do that, whether we sleep or not, that helps my brain. And that means the pressure comes off phase three. So I'm not rushing around trying to get everything done before I've got to get to bed at 11. I can create some pre-sleep stuff. I can create management about tech. I can do things that normally I put off and create excuses for because I don't have enough time to do it, you know? And wow. So my 24 hours is four cycles, 12.30 into 6.30, nocturnal, maybe six or nine little two-minute CRPs, tiny little things. You know, you just stand by a window or you do this or you just look in a different direction. And then that 20 minute, 30 minute late afternoon bit, right, which nobody can take off me. Right. And it's yeah, great yeah. because 
you know, almost if you tell somebody that you have a 30 minute cycle. Napping, snoozers for losers, all that sort of stuff. Come on, let's go. What they basically you start to not tell lies, Ethan, but you camouflage this phrase. And so nobody will know that I am doing a 30 minute period every day, seven days a week. Nobody will know that. Only my closest partner. Yeah, yeah. Because I can do it in a room while you're doing a lecture. Right? Because I'm not actually trying to go, but I can let that go. So I can yeah, still yeah. hear what's going on. I can still react to everything that's going on. But I know I've just hit that sort of meditative state and nobody knows I'm even doing it. Right. And the bit is, is when somebody goes, how how are you so energetic seven days a week? We didn't get in till two o'clock last night and we were up again at this. And I go, and, I, and you went riding your bikes at nine o'clock last night because it's summer. And you didn't get back to half past ten. Weren't you knackered? And you had something to eat, didn't you? Yeah, and I had a cold beer. What? At that time of night? Yes, because my week is 35 cycles, five a day, with six to nine little CRPs equals 42. 35 cycles, yes, but mine looks like 28, 90-minute ones back-to-back with seven 30-minute slots. So when you asked me that question a long time ago, you know, how have you talked to athletes? I go, well, what are we on? 35 cycles a week. It's 28 back-to-back nocturnal. It's 42 CRPs. And it's seven 30-minute CRPs. Oh, that's how we roll. And suddenly you start going, I'm, oh, I'm worried about sleep on Sunday night and Monday morning. Why? Well, you know, because I'm going out on Saturday and we've got a party and we've got this, we've got that. We've got a big exam or lecture on Monday morning. I'm even worrying about it now. And it's a well, no, it just, you roll. You roll in, you roll out. And yeah, yeah. suddenly you just start forgetting about it. Knowing for a fact, let me just uh, put you on the spot, but you don't have to answer the question. How many times, how many times do we... Don't even sleep at all, perceived. We've been up all night. We've uh, Maybe the night before was even bad. Um, but we still go out and smash it. Right? You're still expected to get that exam right. Yeah. So you, you don't, you're up all night with anxiety and stress. And you have not slept at all. And you're worried that if you don't sleep, you're not going to answer the questions right. But that's like worrying about a dentist who hasn't slept all night and they're not going to put a needle in your mouth in the right way or hurt you or whatever. It's kind of, we do have that within the framework of rhythm and cycles. Within the framework, it's perfectly natural to consider that in that 24-hour period, trying to sleep, trying to force yourself to sleep, worrying about sleep is so counterproductive that if you just go, I'm not likely to even get to sleep, that night or that period because there's too much too much going on but do other things yeah that are relative to recovery do you know what i mean so it just completely changes your whole attitude and when you stop worrying about sleep what happens any coach will tell you and i'm sort of like an imitating coach i suppose any coach will tell you if you want ethan to change his behavior 
to do something, to achieve something, don't tell him to do it. What you do is you take him on a little journey. He goes wandering off down here and doesn't even know what's going on. He comes over here and up there, down there, and then suddenly finds himself in a place where you go, oh, Ethan, how many how many hours sleep do you try and get? No, I don't. I'm on 34 cycles. Oh, that's interesting. Let's look at the video two years ago. <laughs> Yeah. Where you were absolutely fixated on this stuff. And now look at you. Did you sleep last night? No. But I did these things. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm absolutely cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I used to be a really bad obsessive of when... So I'd have, like, bedtime. Say bedtime's 10.30. And it'd get to 11 p.m. I'd check the time. I'm like, fuck. I'm not getting to sleep. Why am I not getting to sleep? And then yeah. the anxiety starts creeping in, and then it's then twelve thirty, and I'm like, uh-huh. "Fuck, I'm getting up at six. I'm only going to get up to like five and a half hours sleep. What's going on?" And then it gets one, two, and I'm like, "All right, the nights are right off now." But then that ruins my whole next day. But this perspective that you've given of like it's actually okay for that to happen every now and then. It's mm-hmm. not the end of the world. Has become really interesting because it's really changed the way I think about how I sleep. And if I've not necessarily had my foot, say, five cycles, uh-huh. now I can go into the next day and go, well, I can just get recovery periods in. I think it, it it's sort of fascinating, isn't it? And I, I really like the sort of, you know, I don't class myself as, as a generation that's not got anything to offer. But there is that sort of next generation that completely immersed in 24-7 and, and, and it continues to create amazing things for us but also quite scary so we're, we're still learning of how to develop our relationship with all this sort of stuff but it it's absolutely fascinating in it when you start to to highlight it like that because i think when you i think when you start to stop worrying you know every time we shift we have things like daylight saving time don't we I mean, we're all aware of it on the planet, but not every country gets anywhere near it, right? It's a very yeah. small majority of people who have this seasonal shift with times. We know what it's called. It's called seasonal affective disorder. It's because our relationship with light in certain seasons, winter and summer. Now, it wasn't created for human performance. So why haven't we got rid of it totally? Yeah. Because it is wrong. It's like trying to be on a treadmill with your Wellington boots on. Get rid. There are trainers. You know what I mean? Let's get better at this. Because you're losing hours of sleep all the time, if you think of it like that. So try and shift it so you don't worry about winter and summer. Well, how many times do we all get, oh, my God, the temperature, it's the summer. I can't get to sleep. It's too hot. What? Oh, it's too hot in the bedroom. I'm, oh, God, I can't sleep because it's too hot. And they go, what, for the next, what, month? It's going to be a bit warm. What about when it's really cold? <laughs> yeah. So you get fixated on these these things. I don't worry about temperature shifts. I don't worry about seasonal changes. What I'm concentrated on is my natural rhythm as a human being with the sun rolling around the planet. There's things outside of my control like daylight saving time and, and occupations and all sorts of stuff. But within that, I try to keep a nice natural rhythm so when the summer comes along and it's still light at 10 o'clock at night i enjoy it yeah because i put an extra crp in midday as well as my late afternoon crp so i can smash it on my mountain bikes with ethan 
at 10 o'clock at night up the mountains and it's still sunny, you know, because I've shifted it within my clock. And when the winter comes round, boy, I know exactly what to do because my start to my day is 6.30, but it's dark outside. <laughs> the sun hasn't even come up yet. It's dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, my God. So I don't care that it goes dark at four o'clock. It's still the four o'clock in my 16 cycle. And all I do is shift my behavior to increase just to keep the level of light there as if it was the same. And then shift it and shift it and shift it. So suddenly you just stop worrying about it. So people have stopped asking me those questions anymore because they don't get an answer. <laughs> so I want to ask I want to ask some important questions because uh -huh. I think the way you phrased it as so when we wake, it's post sleep. So post sleep is like I, I think obviously it's where mm -hmm. you set yourself up for the day and also for sleep. Mm -hmm. in the evening so what are three things we should be doing first thing when we get up um the first thing is is identify with this anchor point right it's um you know you might be an am or you might be a pm -er. you have an occupation you have something that drives your day about when you start it but that relation you know whether my day has to start at 12 o'clock midday i know my anchor point is more relative to my chronotype right so find what that is try and find it as you know i like to think on the hour or half an hour because it's so easy to subconsciously keep those timings in your head without worrying about it right if you start thinking 6 15 6 17 you're not creating difference. so six o'clock or 6 30 5 30 or six o'clock you know think like that so get your anchor point in and know that is not just a wait time it's not just an alarm time this is you creating your sunrise because the vast majority of us live inside right we're not reacting to that sunrise and it changes throughout the season anchor point number one chronotype number two if you are an am -er, you get the curtains open or you've got a little dawn wake simulator lamp by your bed that recreates sunrise for you with the right light um once you get going then you know that that sort of chronotype is stimulating you to to enjoy the best part of your day and then it goes wrong early evening right where you think about you want to go to bed and the pm and chronotype doesn't want to start the day so they drag themselves into the day so once you understand you've got a sort of anchor point and your chronotype then the things that you do in that first sort of 60 90 minute period is critical for getting you going right so the am can get into it a little bit quicker because they're reacting to this process a little better and the pm is being dragged so they need to adjust their post routine relative to their chronotype but that's one and the third one is light it it always has been it always will be um we use light therapy in all sorts of ways through the winter periods or traveling and time zones it can reset clocks because it creates a trigger for things like from the adrenal gland cortisol and adrenaline and serotonin it creates a melatonin clock from when you get exposed to blue light and sort of 12 hours later we like to start producing melatonin which has this unsuppressed suppressed relationship with 24 hours right so you're not going to eat, you're not going to fuel up and hydrate if you're still in a sleep state for a PM. 
right? The alarm can go off at 6.30, but you just keep hitting the snooze button, right? So you're not going to get into that hydration, appetite, bowel and bladder mental challenge thing quickly without light going on. And the AM are the same. So you can say, you know, there's a number of post things that you can do, little mental challenges, bit of exercise, get outside, things like that. But if you're not exposing yourself to light, then those things are going to be more challenging and more likely to become excuses why you didn't do it. And yeah. bit, I think, that when we started to sort of investigate this a long time ago, right, it was it was sort of how do we change somebody's perception about light? Um, and so we just grabbed, I just grabbed a little um, light meter. Well, jump in the app store, a little free Lux light meter, LUX lumens. And yep. within that, it's just non-scientific, but it's just using my camera to put a little dial on my phone and it's just showing the Lux levels, right? And then I give you a little bit of an idea that daylight can be anything up to 100,000 lux. Inside that, there's blue light, which is amazing because it provides triggers and energy for us. Um, an average human outside all the time in around 80, 100,000 lux would get an average around 10,000 lux. Looking up, looking down, you know, into midday, into sunset, that sort of stuff. An average of 10,000 lux exposure. Mm-hmm. So if you start to think, well, you know, what about a thousand lux every 90 minutes, an average? So you've got to be quite high and low to get that average. And then suddenly you start wandering around your house and where you're sat right now, Ethan, and you start to go, wow, there's windows there and the sun is shining because I'm in the UK and it's early morning. There's no curtains. The daylight is coming into my office. You can see it's up there on the wall. Um, but it's measuring 100, 234 lux where I'm standing right, even in front of a blue light laptop. Yeah. 185. Right? If I just put my arm over there next to that window, right? I'm less than a meter. In the same space. Yeah. By that window, it's now over 3,000 lux. Wow. Now, if I step outside, just put my arm outside the window, you know, it could be yeah. 70, 80,000 lux right now. Now, you don't think it being dangerous. Obviously, you, you, you know all about skin and all that sort of stuff. What it is, is that light is creating so many things in you that really provides everything about your motivation to do something, alertness, decision-making, um, happiness, how you react to things, your appetite, your this, um, how how well you sort of like, oh, my little 30-minute CRP is amazing and nobody's going to stop me doing it. It creates positivity. It creates all sorts of stuff. It creates, you know, hydration bottles halfway filled. And you suddenly yeah. go, Wow. And what you probably notice on my other desk over there in the window is a lamp. a lamp. And that lamp, when anybody looks into it, tap it in your browser. If you see any, see any light therapy lamp, it produces 10,000 lux. Why? And that's just what I said. So certainly the relationship. Here is a product 
called a light therapy tool. It produces 10,000 lux. Now you know why, because your average exposure would be at the level of 10,000 lux. So if I switch that on, I've been sat here with you and I'm in 200 lux. That's what we call melatonin land. That means the brain is being told by the production of melatonin because we're in low light to suppress me when I'm trying to be active and professional. Yeah. So that whole rhythm and everything else is just in the first part of your day. If you can't get outside, get a lamp by the side of your bed or very much think, you know, like when you're going through buildings and when you're going into your office, that you know that if you get up, have some breakfast, move around a little bit and then go and sit in your in your in your office with your laptop and the lights are on there. Yeah? You you're not waking up at all. Yeah. You are you're not charging in the slightest. I mean, don't even think about trying to work in that space. You've got to get your light levels up. So those little CRPs we were talking before, you know, what do they look like? You know, turning right when you go down a building. If I'm walking down that building by the windows, I know because I had my little lamp out last week. That's like three or four thousand. Months. So my average is just shifted. So I'm balanced. You know, yeah, I've got a balanced relationship with this. stuff. Now, whether you can pull that apart scientifically, I don't care, Ethan. I know that if we get that better relationship, wow, life seems to make more sense. If me and Ethan go and sit, you know, on the mound or on a bench or by the river or in the garden or just take a walk. Life, life seems to to find its way of going it's not that bad it's yeah. it's doable it's workable it's achievable it's don't let the anxiety and stress factors make it even worse try and put it in balance now is that because we're walking around outside in the fresh air maybe is that because we're exposed to seventy thousand lux and serotonin being produced quickly what is it well there's enough to tell us that's what's going on. So that's what happens is uh, if you got your blackout blinds and the curtains shut, the alarm goes off, you walk into the bathroom, you walk into the kitchen, all that light is less than 500 lux or less. You then get, you know, you go to work, you go to the uni, you go whatever it is, you move and, and you've got all the way to midday and your average exposure was in the hundreds, not in the thousands. Yeah then why would you expect your brain to work out the answer to that question? To function at a high capacity. It's just How not possible. How would you expect it to do it? You know? And it's a bit like, I think everybody understands, and it's like my answers to your question, which I'm actually doing on purpose a little bit to make the point. Hmm. I could have answered this question much quicker, with a bit more clarity, a bit more specific, and leave you with the key takeaways but I'm waffling. And that means I'm a morning chronotype. And in the morning, if I get it right, two plus two equals four. No reason to question that. Right? In the afternoon, if I've not been careful, two plus two equals four, I think. I need to just double check that. What type of two plus two equals yeah. four? You know, suddenly 
that that piece of content turns into 300 pages instead of 150? The answer to that question, I actually answered it, but it got messed up in all sorts of other stuff. Somebody else can't see what the answer was. Yeah. It's, Do you know what I mean? From, Trying to yeah. exaggerate a little bit. But in, in really 1% marginal gains type of world, and sometimes it can be quite significant, it, is, it can be a real game changer when you look back as to how quickly somebody does something or how quickly somebody reacts to something. And just a few months later, how different that is, simply because they switched a lamp on. Not yeah. For me, it's because uh, I'm an I'm an AMer, so it's like when I'm say writing a review or you know starting to work on my thesis, or what have you. <laughs> then the best work I can produce is always in the morning. Whenever I try and write after midday, I feel like it takes me four hours to get two words out. Like there's just not a chance of getting anything out. But, you know, you're on a journey. You're on a journey, and. This is what I love to hear. You asked me ages ago, what was it like a couple of decades ago bumping into Alex Ferguson? This type of conversation was nuts. It had absolutely no relevance to anybody. But there you are now describing the importance of short, little couple of minute breaks for you as you go into your 30 minute one late afternoon. Because you know you can get to there. It's moving beyond that that's your problem. Right? Yeah. You know you, so if you have to do an exam early evening, right, that 30 minute slot that you've got in there would always be not random in isolation. Like you said before, when I try to nap, it feels crap. You can't just do it every now and yeah. again because you're knackered. It's a consequence of a bad approach. It always happens. But then you go, wow, I'm all right because I'm getting my 30 minutes. I might just sit where somewhere really quiet and listen to some music this time because I've got an exam there, but I know it's helping me adjust and everything else. So you really start to get a beautiful balance and you spot it with your, you reflect very carefully about who are your friends and who are, and your colleagues and lecturers and, and you start to be able to spot the signs and you go, aha. My mate Chris is a night timer. He wants to go to the gym at eight o'clock at night, not at six o'clock in the morning. You know, so you go, well, we want to do it together because I like Chris. So if we, okay, I need to do this. He, he, you know, you want to go to the gym at 6.30 and I'm Chris, so I need to get up at five so I can get lots of light. I can get it. So when I'm at the gym with Chris at the wrong time of day, it's not having a counterproductive effect on me, but I'm able to adjust it within that rhythm. You know, it's yeah. fascinating how suddenly if you can take 5%, 10%, some it's far more significant. But if you just think 5%, 10% out, out of that 30 odd percent you allocate to sleep every day, every week, every season, every year, many, many big, you don't do anything at all that qualifies 30%, eating, drinking, exercising, working, studying. You don't do anything to that level every day. So if you can grab 5% or so out of that for you and make it work for you and not, not take it away, but optimize your recovery. Wow. I'd like that person. Mm. 
it's yeah, it's such an interesting subject. I just want to ask a couple more questions because obviously I know you're, so you're strapped for time. But so caffeine and caffeine intake, uh-huh. when should we consume it in the morning and when should we cut it off in the afternoon and evening? I think that the thing is about all of this, you know, um, some really good friends of mine over the years have always been into nutrition and sports science and nutrition and, you know, we come across it a lot. So there's a lot of science. There's also a lot of, you know, shifting in, in mindset about diets, you know, vegans and gluten-free has always been there or or fats or proteins, or whatever. So, you know, there is that sort of element. Um, I think where you sit yourself is a healthy, balanced everything. You know, it's it's understanding what healthy and balanced means. You don't just make it up like two donuts and a bag of chips is a handful. But you have an understanding of what healthy balance means. Um, and you need things that um, make you smile. Um, don't avoid the slice of birthday cake, you know. Um, you don't have to avoid the takeaway. You don't have to. Av- it's all within that sort of balanced arena and that's where sort of caffeine sits you know it's like a a glass of wine with a friend in a meal at the end of the day it can be reflective it can be soothing it can be nice it's it's um you know a cold beer or something like that a game or whatever um but three or four or a bottle no you know so it's kind of the caffeine for me working with lots of professional cyclists and in the professional cycling world, you know, stopping for an espresso is part of the culture. Um, you see all the lycra-based cyclists wandering around our towns and you stop at cafes and you get your bike mended and you have an espresso and a coffee uh, in general terms. Uh, we know caffeine, you know, the body doesn't mind caffeine, um, uh, but in, in an understandable way, it is a performance enhancer. We need a little bit of help, uh, a pat on the back. Or, you know, a good glug of water when we're a bit dehydrated. It's the same thing. It's about a little bit of a balance. The way I see it is uh, either don't do it at all, which is like anything if you want. Cut out sugars, cut out salts, do this, do that. Whatever it is, stick to whatever you're doing and keep it healthy and balanced. And caffeine has a half-life of six or seven hours. So I put 200 grams into you and uh, three hours later, it's 100 grams, right? And six hours later, there's nothing, right? So you kind of have that relationship of how and when to use it. What I don't like is people using heavy amounts of caffeine in the morning to get them going, whatever that might be, any drinks or, or the, you know, the coffee and the tea, whatever it is. Um, caffeine hangabouts in so many products, even if it's not stated, like painkillers, you know? So, and even decaffeinated tea. <laughs> It just says that they've decaffeinated it the best they could. Um, so I like to see it as, you know, use it as a balance. So if you chop your day up into 90-minute cycles, 16 of them, so in the first 90 minutes, you might use caffeine to help that process of getting going, particularly if you're a PM, right? You need a little bit of help, right, because this is a difficult time. So don't see it as negative. Just see it as a little bit. Maybe you can find some other things that will do that. But we're talking caffeine, right? So if I know how much caffeine is about, you know, (laughs) 
a grande in Starbucks, I think it was about 300 milligrams of caffeine at one point. I don't know what it is now, but there you go. Just have, a, have an understanding about the caffeine. And then you start thinking 150 grams of caffeine is a, my little starter for the day. It helps me go to here. But then two cycles, which is three hours, two 90-minute cycles, three hours. Here's the rhythm. Here's the pattern. It's down to half that. Yeah. So maybe you can just top it up again if you want. You know, back to there three hours later. Then you can start thinking, well, if I take on lots of caffeine in the first phase of the day and then stop doing it from lunchtime, well, six or seven hours later from sort of midday, you're coming down off a big high, right? Mm. Now, that's not good for phase three and it's not good for your brain. So I always think is that it's much better to have that sort of relationship that you like, you make a choice, it works for your rhythm, your pattern and everything else, to sort of take on board 300 milligrams of caffeine in the first couple of cycles of your day, a little coffee, a little tea, a little drink or whatever it is, you're happy with that, you then have a little break from it for a couple of cycles, it's gone down to 150 now, you know. So you know where that then you're happy to top it up a little bit because you know getting into the evening for you is a might be a little bit difficult oh but don't take it it'll keep you awake no shut up i'm just topping it up then i go into phase three and then i've got a couple of cycles left before or a cycle left before my targeted sleep time at 12 30 whatever it is so um if i started to decrease my level of caffeine but not taking it out altogether you know because keep a balance keep a rhythm and then you take it out by the time you enter sleep uh, there's a little bit of happy caffeine knocking around you know but at a much lower level and by the time you've gone through the final 90 minutes into your sleep and then the first 90 minutes it's gone because you'd already got down to the half-life before you got anywhere near the last two cycles of your night so it kind of, and then it starts afresh by the time they wake up in the morning, you know, my four cycles in six hours, I'm pretty much caffeine free, so I can start that general process again. So yes, there are arguments. Yeah, there's, so many there's definitely areas. a few. I think if you choose to use it, right, if you choose to use it, then do it in that healthy balance way. Don't over excess it. And just say, don't have caffeine after midday because it ruins your sleep. Well, that's fine-ish but mm. not if you're up at a thousand milligrams before you get to midday yeah it's about that's that's about the load of it so i think it's always the bits that are missing don't do caffeine after lunch that's positive yep yeah, can you just define my caffeine approach to start with yes well then it doesn't make sense to do that <laughs> because yeah. i'm only getting up to you know 200 milligrams of caffeine by midday so then stopping it at midday is going to absolutely no effect on how I sleep because it's having no effect on anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's neither yeah. here nor there. So it's always those little bits that are missing when we get advice about stuff. That uh, is always worthwhile when you when you read something or you see something like get your eight hours or you you know caffeine and this and everything else is is just make sure that you've used everything you possibly can to really understand what that means because normally in isolation they don't do you any good yeah it's how can you make it specific to you like yeah. for me i'm not a big 
caffeine. I used to be a big caffeine fanatic, huh. but I'm not anymore. So it's like I'll have one coffee maybe two hours after I've woken up because that gives me that period to wake up. Mm -hmm. Then that one coffee will that'll do me for the day. It's a nice little pick me up like, like mid morning. Yeah. That just it just sort of floats me through then and then from there like i i find for myself specifically to me mm -hmm. that if i have caffeine in the afternoon that will affect my sleep so i don't do it but for yep. someone like say for you you may have caffeine at 3 p.m but can sleep like a baby come nine like yep. it's always specific to the person isn't it well it's metabolism it's all sorts of stuff and, and it also yeah. is reflective of what's going on in your world right and uh it's sort of you know I say it's it's getting that better relationship with a with a healthy, balanced, rhythmic approach to your twenty four hours, uh, rather than the the ups and downs and highs and lows. Sounds very simplistic, but we've tried to make it simplistic. You know? Yeah. So I've got one final question for you because I know huh? you you obviously have a, you know you struck for time. Uh -huh. So the final question is: How would you and specifically, actually, how would your how would you like your work to be remembered? Wow. My work. Hmm. As I, I suppose it's always been about uh, reward from the impact of my endeavors on other people. Um, athletes, yeah, fine, but students nurses doctors you know you listen to my audible book when the book came out in 2016 i thought that's that's good night for me you know because it was non-clinical non-academic it was a bit maverick it was a bit but you know i was given the confidence to to write it by the publishers anyway and i think what that is is about pilots and surgeons and nurses and politicians and and kids and young athletes and old athletes um and you just the reward is that it's it's really helped them put some perspective on this this health pillar sleep and for some it may have saved their lives you know yeah um whereas you think about that subject of sleep ethan earlier on is like somebody's perception of sleep but you wouldn't think about it being able to balance uh mental and physical mental mental health and well-being issues that could be quite serious you know so i think how would i like to be remembered to, to i i started i started a journey for every generation beyond me to make sure that this health pillar is never ignored again um he's looked into in um is really looked into so that we don't just have this generic stuff. So my reward would be that uh, that everything I have done is probably helping people deal with some of the most basic and common issues which seem to be growing like mad, and that area can really help them, you know, and they don't yeah. realize it. They just don't realize it. And that that's a sad thing for anybody to wander through life is that there is they can go into that space like we've been talking about today whether it's a little crp or whether it's this or, whatever, or a little thing whatever 
that they can go in there and, and really make a change and it could be game changing for them. So I think that that's it. I don't know whether I answered your question, but I would just hope people reflect on it that, you know, maybe I kicked the door down a bit and opened yeah. it up for everybody. No, I, I, I really like how you've gone about talking about sleep because it breaks down a lot of the stigmas that we have with it. And also it's now from what I've seen of your work, it to me, it's now not this scary thing. If I don't get eight hours, then there's going to be all these bad things that happen to my body that can happen in just a week. It's now a case fear, of fear. Yeah. <laughs> fear. yeah. So it's like you, it, it's broken down in a really good way. And obviously you can get the book. It'll be in the link in the description. But if anyone wants to find you online, where can they find you? Um, it's simply sport, sleep, coach.com. Um, unfortunately, if you tap Nick Little Hales in your browser, you'll get lots of things. You can find me through that because there's lots of stuff out there. But sport, sleep, coach.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn. We've got handles in there all over the place. Uh, there's loads of information on the website. You know, we produce more free content than we do anything you've got to pay for. You listen to the Audible course. Um, you can read a book. You can um, listen to some blogs. You can podcasts and things like that. You can you can really start your journey in a very sort of self-coaching way, to be honest. Uh, I think I'm not being biased, but I'd probably, I'd probably listen to your podcast, Ethan, or read my book or listen to my book before you go off into the world of sleep science, you know? Yeah. It is important and there's lots of good stuff there, but don't go the other way around because it'll probably scare you uh, yeah. or it won't do anything for you. So it's kind of read my book and then go into the science, you know, then it kind yeah. of works. You know. But yeah, or, you know, just get on the website and see what you can do. Lovely. Thank you for your time. No problem. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Nick Little-Hales. You'll find all his stuff in the description below, including his website and his book, Sleep. So make sure to check it all out. And remember to please subscribe, like, and share each episode with someone who may be interested in that particular topic. Remember, there are weekly episodes coming out on a Monday and clips from podcasts coming out on Thursdays, both at 6 a.m. GMT and 5 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.